You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9 today, but before we get there, as you know, we have to pray, and I am praying this morning that God would really drive that truth deep into our hearts today, that we are loved. And so I'm going to pray a prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesians. I'm going to pray that upon us today. So will you bow with me as I ask the Lord now to open our minds and our hearts to see how deep and how wide his love is. Father, we bow this morning in awe of who you are. It says in Isaiah that you sit high enthroned to the circle of the earth, ruling in absolute power and absolute supremacy, and yet it tells us throughout the whole scripture that you're not just a God who rules, you're a God who loves us. God, we acknowledge that we don't fully grasp the full significance, the full meaning of even that sentence that we have a God who loves us. And so we pray this morning, this simple prayer, God, that Paul prayed for his church. I pray for my heart and our church. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from heaven, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, O Lord, may you grant to us to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our innermost being. O Christ, may you dwell in our hearts today through faith that we might be rooted and grounded in love and that you might grant to us, God, by your grace, the strength to comprehend with all the saints how the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love, that we might know the the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. God, that's what we long for today. To know and experience your love, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And Father, we acknowledge today that we can't make that happen as desperate as we are for that to happen. We can't make that happen. And so we plead with you, God, we implore upon you to open our eyes to see and our hearts to understand today in new ways, in fresh ways, in true ways, in real ways, the reality that you love us. For that is life-changing. And God, we want our lives to be changed. We don't want to just come to church today to hear a message. We want our lives to be encountered by God and to be changed by the love of Christ today. So Father, we ask that you make this happen in this place for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's true this morning, brothers and sisters. It's true you are loved. Why don't you go ahead and tell someone beside you that, that very reality and let it come off your lips. Just tell someone around you, you are loved. Go ahead, tell them, the person next to you. I can tell some of you are really awkward with that, aren't you? Like, this is weird. Yeah, some of you guys, you have to start telling your spouse that in church. And yet, isn't that true? It's the most meaningful words we can ever hear. I don't know about you, but I never get tired of hearing those words from anybody else to me. You ever get tired of hearing those words? Never. In fact, I can hear them more and more. One of my greatest joys is coming home from work at night. I, I don't mind going to work, but I love more coming home from work. And more days than not, I get home, and, and even before I get in the door, my wife is at the door, the great big smile on her face, and she gives a, a big hug, like, welcome home, we've missed you, we love you, honey. You know what that does, good day, bad day, you know what that does for the soul? And then right behind her is a little yappy dog, and I interpret his, Rrr! I heard her this, like, I love you, that's what I interpret it as. 
I'm not sure where I stand with him, but I know he loves me. And then, and then my kids used to, and they don't anymore. Zach and Meyer are too old. Now they're like, dad's home. But yeah, to have a young one, remember? This is God's special gift to us. That kind of was a little surprise. And so Nick, no matter where he is in the house, he hears that door open. You know what he does? He drops whatever he's doing. He yells, daddy, 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 daddy. And he wraps his arms around my knees and he goes, I do. You know what that means, right? I just never get tired of that. Ever. But you know what's even more amazing to me that, than my wife and my little mutt and my son rushing to the door to tell me they love me? It's this. Is that even more meaningful to me, uh, the older I get even, is this, is that it, more than a toddler running up the stairs, is that we have a God who pursues us because he loves us and he constantly pursues us and persistently pursues us to wrap his proverbial arms around us and tell us these three words that we need to hear every single day of our lives. You are Loved. That's awesome. Some of you don't think of God in that way, but that's exactly who God is. And last week, we looked at John 3.16 and the kind of the, the overarching love of God, the broadness of God's love that he extends to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Today, we're gonna put on our theological scuba gear and we're gonna dive deeper into the sea of God's love and explore the beauty and the depths of God's love from a different vantage point. We're gonna explore the special kind of love that God has for those those that he calls his own. The persistent and pursuing love of a God who loves his children with an everlasting love. If you're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ today, you have to know this. You're not just loved. You're especially loved by God. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where we're at. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You know the rest? Where's it go? Ruth, first and second Samuel. So get there, second Samuel chapter nine. The ushers are coming down the aisle right now. If you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. We want you to follow along. We want you to see for yourself and, and experience for yourself the words of God. I'm praying they come alive for you today. So 2 Samuel chapter 9 is where we are, is we're going to look at this whole idea of God's pursuing love. And the little subtitle here is David's kindness to Mephibosheth. And i uh, just give you a little background. Don't worry, don't, don't stress. We're going to open in a minute. But here's some background to know where we're at in the story. This is sort of a parenthesis to First and Second Samuel. It's sort of like just a little like, oh, and by the way, and the story of David and Mephibosheth. And if you remember David's story, David was, um, from a very young age, had a best friend. Remember his best friend's name it was? Yeah, like they, were like they were like brothers from another mother. They were like best buds. And, and the problem was is that David was sort of like on this, this trajectory that seemed like he was going to take over the kingdom. So Saul hated David. Jonathan loved him. Saul hated him. And, and Saul wanted to kill him and eliminate him. And yet, yet David was one of these little slippery little guys. He was like he had this survival instinct and he knew when to run and knew where to hide. And, and so he seemed to manage to get away from Saul all the time. But he didn't do so always but without the help of Jonathan. And Jonathan, at one point in Samuel, he says to David, hey, David, my dad is going to kill you. Get going. And, and before, before David ran, him and Jonathan had this little, this little powerful, like, little, like, like, brotherhood moment, you know, where they said, hey, man, whatever happens, whatever happens, just make a promise to me that, that you'll always love me in the broski sense. You know, and always love me, and you'll look after my family forever. And they're like, yeah, absolutely love you, man. And David took off, and as the story goes, Jonathan and Saul were killed in battle at the end of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 31, and, and 
kind of a devastating day for everybody, but that kind of sprung David up into take, taking over the kingdom. It wasn't long after that that he actually became king, just like Saul feared. David was king because he was anointed by God. And so in the process of him taking over kingship, though, what happened in that day was when a new king would take over, what would they do? They'd, they'd kill all the descendants of the old king so there would be no one else in line to the throne. And so even though David had no intention of that, this is the fear of Saul's whole family. He's like, oh, no, David's in charge now. And the, kingdom was flourishing. It was 10 times bigger. And as David took over and they'd never lost a battle. And so the people are just like panicked. And so um, in the effort to like hide all the descendants of Saul, they, they're, they're running for their lives. And they pick up Jonathan's little son, Mophibosheth, and whoever was carrying him tripped and fell. And this little boy at five years old became crippled in both feet. And so there kind of two trajectories, right? There's this little crippled boy living in the wilderness somewhere, and descendant of Jonathan, really the rightful heir to the throne, and David's now the king, and 20 years later is where the story picks up, and we see this, this picture of God's loving kindness for us in this, and I want you to know this isn't just a history lesson today. This is his story. This is God's story of how he loves us through Jesus Christ. And David isn't just a king in this. He's a, he's a type of a foreshadowing of King Jesus and how he is then going to interact with all of um, the covenant children of God. And so that's where the story is. You with me? You with me? It's, it's Pretty fascinating as we read this. I love this story. It's one of my favorites in the Old Testament as it shows us a picture of God's love and grace to us. And so let's just start reading. I want you to first write in your notes this. Point number one, Jesus' heart is one of kindness. Jesus' heart is one of kindness. Again, remembering the context, remembering how it's all going down here. Look at chapter nine, starting at verse one. So in the midst of all this prosperity, all this, like, like David's now, like, life's gone well for him. He's the man, right? And, and he's, he's exactly where he should be. Maybe we didn't expect to be, but look at what happens here. David said this. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? In other words, as he's probably ruling his kingdom, he's looking around going, like, well, how did I get here? How, how do I find myself in this place? And I bet you he never forgot that moment where his buddy saved his life. And so constantly this, this, this gratitude I think you see in David's heart of like, wow, I wouldn't be here without my friend Jonathan. And, and I'm sure he missed him. I'm sure he longed to like be faithful to that covenant. And so at this point, how can I ever show Jonathan I'm so thankful? How can I ever be so thankful to my friend? Well, I have an idea here. What about this? Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now's a good time to be faithful to my promise to my friend. When it says here that he's going to show him kindness, it's not the same kind of kindness that we're like, hey, I think you can do a kind gesture today. You know, we sometimes have in our hearts, I think I want to do something kind for somebody. This is, this is a deeper kind of kindness we're talking about the scriptures. This is called hased. It's a, it's a covenantal faithfulness or it's a, a loving faithfulness. This is the highest of all Hebrew virtues. It's, it's not just a simple like, you know, we think, oh, we're going to be kind. This is, this is so much deeper than it's like, is there anyone still left in Jonathan's family that I can truly show the love that I had for him to them? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Ziba, and so Ziba was probably the guy that used to look after all of Saul's stuff, and so he calls Ziba to himself. Remember, new king, he kind of takes over all the old king's things. So he went and got Ziba, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am, I am your servant. 
And David says this, the king, notice that the king, got to emphasize this, the king, doesn't just use his name David there because you're going to see the significance of this. The king said this, is there still not someone to the house of Saul? May I show kindness, the kindness of God to him? Is there not someone still in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? You have to understand that this isn't just a small thing. Like, this is putting his whole kingdom at risk right now. To go and find somebody of the former royal line and show kindness could be like the end of his dynasty. And yet you have to notice this about King David and you have to notice this about King Jesus before we even move on any further. Both King David and King Jesus have a heart of kindness. Sounds simple enough to some of us. But I think a lot of us miss this on a daily basis. That that David is going to seek out the descendants of Jonathan for no other reason but because he is a loving and a kind king. We miss this on a daily basis that, 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 that God is also of the same nature of heart. That God also is a God who loves to extend his kindness and his grace and his mercy to his children. I think we know it. But then we start running through life sometimes forgetting that we serve a loving and a gracious God named Jesus Christ. And so it sounds simple enough, but I think some, some of us end up running through our lives thinking that, thinking that Jesus is like the, the, the harsh coach that is going to put you through the ringer. Or he's like the strict teacher that's watching over you every second of every day to keep you in line. Or, or he's like the, the boss that's just trying to squeeze every ounce he can out of you for his own gain. And yet that's not Jesus' heart at all. Do you know that? Jesus isn't the harsh coach, the strict teacher, the intense boss that some of us live our lives the whole life think. We say that we know he's good and kind, but then we live a whole different direction. Here's the heart of Jesus. We see it in David's life. The heart of Jesus is more like a woman that we met a number of years ago named Marsha, Marsha Healy. She's probably passed on now, but when we moved to Maine, she was an older lady who had been a missionary her whole life. Really had nothing to, in this world. She had no family. She really had, had nothing. The church was looking after her, and so she served in the church in her retirement. Get this older generation in our church, the retirement years that never really come because we're always serving the Lord. This was Marcia, and, and, and she was such a delight to run into anywhere you were, in the hallway, in the, in the church, in the, in the community when you went. You know why? Because she had such a giving heart. She always had a smile on her face, and she always had something to give, whether it was a word of encouragement or a scripture that she'd been studying that day and just felt the Lord putting on her heart for you, or she'd stop and say, I just want to pray for you. Even at one time, I remember this, she pulled out $20 out of her wallet, you know, a little shaky hand. She pulled, she's like, I want you and your wife to treat yourself to dinner. I was like, Marsha, Marsha, like, like, we're set. Maybe say that for an emergency. You don't have insurance and all that. She's like, no, no, I, I want to. What'd she say? I want, I, I just... I just want to give it to you. How humbling is that? That, That's the heart of Jesus. He's a giver, not a taker. And we have to understand this concept. We're going to fully know the love of God. We have to understand this concept of Jesus. Jesus is a giver, not a taker. Listen to some passages that I found that that emphasize this. It's not just me making up this stuff as a pastor and this nice little sentiment for your heart. Here's what it says in both the Old and New Testaments. Well, the character of our God is expressed through Jesus. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. 
And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. See this, this picture of a God who gives and longs to be generous and gracious. Look at Titus 3, verses 4 to 6. It says this, but when the goodness and the loving kindness, same word, notice that kindness, of God our Savior appeared, Jesus he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Just like King David, Jesus has a heart of loving kindness and he's always actively seeking you out, not to hurt you or harm you, but to shower you with love and give you good things. Let that sink into your heart this morning. You have a God who loves you that is a giver and not a taker. So we've already need to rearrange the way you think about God, but this is truth of scripture. And you also have to understand this about Jesus. This is going to help you understand even more significantly how awesome that first point is. Uh, point number two, and Jesus does this, he pursues me in spite of me. This, this nature of Jesus being a, a giver and a, a, a God who loves, he, he does this not because we are awesome and we deserve it, but he does this in spite of me. Look how this story goes. Keep reading in verse three with me. Ziba says to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in both feet. It's, you don't see the word but there, but you have to understand the context of the old days back then. If you're crippled, you're basically a nothing. You're a nobody. You're set out to the side and like, who cares what happens to you? We move on with the life of like who matters most. And so he's like, there is still a son of Jonathan, dot, 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 but king, but king. He's just a cripple. The king, again, notice this. The king said to him, don't skip in a beat. Well, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Machir is a name that means sold or sold out. So he's like in this place of being like sold out. And Lodabar is a barren place, literally meaning like no pasture, like... It's not just the name of the place he lived, it's actually the reality of his whole life. He's in this barren, no pasture. He's, he's in the middle of nowhere, doing nothing, sold out to anything that matters. And King David said, so King David in verse five, think at this point, conversation's over. Like he's trying to paint the picture. Like you don't want to go after this guy, King. You have better things to do. He's not worth it. That, that, that's kind of the, the message that Zeb is trying to bring. And yet, David doesn't bite at all. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Mentions it twice because they want you to see. Anything something's mentioned twice in the Bible, you take notice of it, right? He mentions it again because he realizes how significant it is for a king to go out and get a nobody from nowhere. This picture here is awesome. It's Jesus, it's David pouring out his loving kindness to somebody who really doesn't deserve it. You think about this whole picture of Mephibosheth. Once healthy, now crippled. He's, he's helpless. Crippled, helpless. Like he, he can't even make his own meals. He's got to get carried here, there, and everywhere. He's basically just taken up time until the day that he dies. Like He, he, can't, he can't help himself. 
He's, he's hopeless. If you're born crippled on that day, you're hopeless. There's no government aids. There's no nurses that come by and help you like we have today. There's, there's no braces for your feet. There's no surgeries. This is, this is my life, and this is what it is, and this is where I'm going to be until I die. He's hopeless. And yet David still goes to him and reaches out to him with his loving kindness. I know at this point, at this point, many people turn this story into like, yeah, that, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be like David. I'm supposed to go help the helpless. And yet, and yet here's the point of this whole story, though. The point of the story is that not that we are supposed to be David and go help the Mephibosheth. The point of the story is that we are Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. And Jesus is the good king who comes to us and shows his loving kindness to us in our helpless and hopeless state as sinners against a holy, righteous God. The hero of the story in the Old Testament, you have to understand this, I say it all the time, is always Jesus. And Bill McDonald, the commentator, points out to us the fact of Mephibosheth in this story, this picture of crippled and barren in this place of hopelessness. Mephibosheth is a picture of an unconverted soul living in a barren land and sold out to sin. And get this, get this, yet the love of Jesus pursues him still. King, cripple, how, why? Because that's the heart of our God. That's the heart of your God. Jesus doesn't pursue you. If you're here today and you have this, this impression that somebody's taught you, you've heard some preacher say somewhere, but Jesus doesn't pursue you because you're the smartest and you're the best looking and you have a lot of talents to offer God that he can use. He doesn't pursue you because somehow he thinks you're the missing piece that's gonna make his team a championship caliber team. God pursues you in spite of you. Why do you highlight his love and his character, not yours? Every time I read this story, my heart wells up. As you know, I have a special needs kid and that, that, makes, this, that makes this ever more special. But my heart wells up to think that, that, man, I am more like Mephibosheth than I ever begin to believe in a spiritual sense. And if it wasn't for Jesus coming to rescue me, where would I be? Think about it. You're like, well, I'm not that helpless and hopeless. Think about in your soul how helpless and hopeless you are to even begin to live out the commands of God perfectly, the standard he set for us on a daily basis. You can't do it. Spiritually, we're crippled. We, we can't even crawl ourselves to God. Not to mention to stand up in his presence and somehow stand on our own two feet. Aren't you aware of this every single day, how crippled spiritually you are? How many times have you woken up in the morning and you're like, today's the day that I'm gonna have the perfect day and I'm gonna do it well and I'm gonna do it right only to get like 15 minutes out of your bed and be like, ah! There's that stupid thought again. I prayed about all last night, it wouldn't be there today and there it is again. Or, or how many times have you determined that today's the day, I'm not gonna get mad at my kids today, I'm not gonna get mad at my kids, I'm not gonna get mad at my, stop it! Only be like, ah! I did it again. I'm going to think of myself less than others today. I'm going to think of myself less. I'm going to put everyone else first only to get like an hour and a half in and be like, uh, who do you think you are driving in front of me so slow on the 406? Don't you realize that we're helpless before Jesus? Hopeless? I don't know about you, but I've tried hard to not be helpless and I just can't help but be Helpless. And somehow I think if I can not be helpless and God's going to love me more, incorrect. 
God pursues us in our helpless state, and because we're so helpless, John 15, 5 says that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I am not just crippled, I am dead. And because I'm so crippled spiritually, I'm also hopeless. Romans 3, 11 and 12, here's, here's a reality that God points out for us, how helpless we are to help us see that we are Mephibosheth. We're definitely not David, we're Mephibosheth. Romans 3, 11 and 12, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands in the, before Jesus. No one understands. No one even seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you're here today and you think that you're the only good person in this place, hey, get that out of your head right now. You're not. None of us are. The harsh reality is because we're all so helpless, we're destined to die. We're hopeless. Righteous, holy God, unrighteous, unholy creation. How do we bridge that gap? We can't. And so we're destined to die. We're destined to, to, the, to, to death and eternal damnation and hell because of our sin. And yet, and yet this is why this is so awesome. Yet the king, the king, King Jesus, loves us enough in our barrenness, in our emptiness, to still pursue us with an everlasting love. Any amens on that? Awesome, isn't it? Put it another way, here's, maybe we're not crippled and low to bar. I feel it some days. But our spiritual statement, you know those pictures you saw of, the, of Hurricane Harvey? And people sitting on their cars, like waiting for someone to rescue them, the panic in their faces, and, or the people sitting on their houses because the water's come up so high they ended up cutting a hole in their roof. They're sitting on the roof just like helpless and hopeless before someone comes. That's us before a holy God, and yet a holy God loves us enough to send the rescue crew, crew of one, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus isn't a passive wait to see what happens, God. He's an active pursuing God and he pursues us even when we have nothing to offer him. I know you understand that. I understand that. Just let that sink into your heads and your hearts this morning. Even though some of you are thinking right now, as you sit here right now, we're like, yeah, that, that's me for sure, Pastor. You've nailed me for sure. And so I've given up on God ever coming after me because, because there's nothing here to pursue. Incorrect, God pursues you in spite of you. Some of you are sitting here like, well, no one's ever pursued me before. Like, man, I've been waiting for someone to pursue me forever. My, maybe my parents gave up on me or like I'm still sitting here in this single state and I've been waiting for someone to pursue me or maybe I've never met that friend that I've always been longing for and, and, and I've just given up on, if no one here in this world pursues me, does God really pursue me? Get this, get this. God still loves you and pursues you more than anyone in this world ever could. If only you knew, though, Pastor, if only you knew how much I've screwed up, like, like I can not recover from this sin. Incorrect. Look at me. God loves you and pursues you. I'm hopeless. Ever thought that before? I'm hopeless. Not in Jesus' eyes, you're not hopeless. Because it's not about you being anything but willing to allow Jesus to rescue you but I'm so good at pushing people away, but you don't, don't push Jesus away as he comes close. He wants to love you and cherish you and make you his child through faith in him. I love this statement by Tim Keller. We are more sinful and flawed than we have ever dared believe, yet never more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. 
We are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. Moment of truth, I wrestle with this all the time. I know you guys do. We all put on these nice little fronts like, oh, I don't wrestle with this. Like, give me a break. Can Jesus still love me? Like, I would have given up on me a long time ago. How? Why? Here's how. Here's why. It comes out in Isaac Watts' song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It's simply this. Love so amazing, so divine. That's it. That's all. That's all you need to know. Drop the mic. Go home. Because God is a God that loves even the unlovable. And get this. Story gets better, believe it or not. Jesus doesn't just embrace me for the sake of embracing me. He embraces me to bless me. Jesus embraces me to bless me. Look at verses five to eight. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. I'm sure, I'm sure Ziba's like, like, what in the world kind of task is this? Well, I'm gonna bring this crippled guy to the king for what? And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, emphasizing again where he came from. Remember, he came from this covenant relationship David had with Jonathan, but he also came from, he's the grandson of Saul, the one that wanted to kill David and the one who used to sit on the throne. But he came to David and he fell on his face. He worshiped him and paid homage. It's respect. It's, it's this, this sense of, 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 I'm at your mercy right now. Imagine what's going through Mephibosheth's mind is, man, he's gonna come and he is gonna slaughter me and I got one day to live and he just wants to see my face before he does it. And so as noble as it sounds, there's probably a whole lot of fear going on. Like, oh my goodness, I'm before the king. What's gonna happen now? If I get low, maybe he'll spare my life. But look what David says right away. He doesn't call him anything. He doesn't call him, look what he calls him by name. Mephibosheth, exclamation mark, being like a joyful thing there. Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I'm your servant. Like, please don't kill me. I don't know how it played out, but I can picture David now getting down to his level, knowing that he can't stand, right? Or he's being held up to his level. And look what he says. But do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Put yourself, I like to put myself in biblical character shoes. Put yourself in Mephibosheth's shoes right now. Get law, I'm your servant. Like, please don't. Actually, I brought you here not to curse you, but to bless you, not to kill you, but to give you. Can you imagine the moment of like, you know those times we get news and it's a little bit too good to handle and you're just like, is this really true? You know those like, like pinch me somebody, let me read it again, tell me to my face so I can really understand. This is what's happening here. Mephibosheth is like, and so, so what's his response? He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, why is that? Or how's that gonna look at He gets back on his face and he says, now I know where I need to be just worshiping and giving full homage or respect or reverence to you, O king. Even though Mephibosheth clearly had a profound awareness 
of how undeserving he is. How do we know that? Look at this, verse eight, and he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Don't you have a little bit of pity in your heart from a Mephibosheth? Really, you feel that way about yourself? You're a dead dog because your feet are crippled? That's how he's been treated his whole life. People walked by, probably people laughed, probably people made fun of him. And yet here's the king showing him such honor. Notice, see how undeserving he realizes he is? We miss this in our culture, say, well, of course God chose me, look at me. We're all the same place, we're so undeserving. I think it served us well to get back there before we realize we're undeserving. Man, it just causes us to worship even in greater ways, to greater depths. Mephibosheth probably could barely pick himself up on the floor, not because he was scared, because I just want to, I'm just so overwhelmed with the kindness and the love of this king that I just want to stay here and worship. Think about it. Mephibosheth was going, expecting a death certificate. Instead, he was handed a black blank check. Instead of the gallows, he got the golden handshake. And this is what Jesus transitioned to our lives. This is what Jesus bestowed on all those who bow to him, even awkwardly. For a crippled person to bow, I'm sure it's pretty awkward. I'm sure it's not perfect. But this is the same blessing that Jesus bestows upon all who bow to him. Not a curse, but a blessing. Jesus doesn't pursue us as some of us think, even as Christians. He doesn't pursue us to squeeze the life out of us or harm us. He pursues us to rescue us and give us life more abundantly. And some of us spend our lives running from Jesus. We want Jesus, we want the ticket to heaven and all that stuff, but then the rest of us, we run fearful of what he's gonna do. Where's he gonna take me? What's he gonna make me do? What's gonna happen? And yes, it's true that Jesus pursues you, but not to harm you, but to help you. Reminds me of a story, I think, I think we can all be in this place. It reminds me of a story I read a number of years ago. I might have shared it with you before, but it just fits so well in this passage. And it's a, thinking of Mephibosheth's mindset and the mindset we often have. It's a story about a, um, a woman who came out of a, a grocery store in the U.S. a number of years ago. And she came out of her grocery store and got in her car and started away and realized as soon as she started away from the, from the grocery store, there's a truck like right on her tail you know, the big old truck with the big headlights, and she got a little nervous, you know? And so she drove a little faster, and she realized that no matter how fast she went, this truck, she couldn't shake this truck, and, and she sped up, the truck sped up, she slowed down, the truck slowed down. She started getting a little disoriented, trying to take quick lefts, quick rights, trying to think that maybe I can shake this guy. Got lost in the process, ended up at a dead end with like this truck barreling down behind her, frozen in her seat, she slammed on the brakes, dead end, put it in park, waiting for the worst to happen. Look in her rearview mirror, this great big guy jumps out of his truck and he comes running up to her car, but instead of jumping in the front seat, he went to the back seat, he whipped open the door and he pulled somebody out of the back seat of her car. Like, picture yourself in that place too, right? As the story unfolds, like the story was told, she's just sitting there going like, what in the world just happened? The, the guy wrestled this guy down and, you know, called the police, whatever the police came, but he was sitting in the grocery store parking lot waiting for another friend, and he watched, lights were off sitting there, and he watched this guy get in the backseat of this woman's car. And before he could get out and say anything, she jumped in her car and took off, and so he, he pursued her to rescue her. 
and wouldn't give up until he got her and rescued her. That's a picture of the, the, the love of Jesus. So often we look in the rearview and like, oh no, Jesus is coming after me. What's he gonna do? What's he gonna ask this time? What's he gonna say to me? Well, Jesus isn't pursuing you for any other reason but to rescue you and to give you life and give you blessing. Numbers 6, 24 to 27, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them, Numbers says. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you get this, right? You read this and you're like, wow, that's me. This, is, this, is, this salvation thing is, is so great. It's not about saying a prayer and then going to heaven one day. It's, it's, it's knowing the fullness of the blessing of God. And man, God has blessed me upon, anyone can attest to that? Like God has blessed me beyond imagination by his presence. We all can. I hope you haven't lost sight of that. But I want to encourage those that are here today that maybe haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet. So this is a little, little application point just for you because I, I know there's many in this place. Many have, have even gone to church for years and never truly encountered the love of Jesus. I, I want to encourage you that, that, that even though you might be just like Mephibosheth, the king is pursuing you today. He's pursuing you. He, he wants to lift you up and bring you to his presence, not to harm you, but to help you and to save you. And so you can be just like, you can be just like Mephibosheth. Look at the words here. Do not fear is the first words coming out of the king's lips. King Jesus says that over and over in the scriptures. Do not fear. Fear not. His most used command, you know what his most used command is? It's not do this. It is fear not. You've been wrestling with whether you stop running from Jesus or not. Let, let me encourage you this. You don't have to fear what Jesus is going to do when he gets a hold of you. You don't have to fear the plans he has for your life. You don't have to fear that, that your life is, you don't have to fear the changes he's gonna make in your life. They're all going to be for your good and for your glory. And so I wanna encourage you, don't fear, don't, don't fight it. We don't get the sense in here at all that Mephibosheth was coming, kicking and screaming and clawing his way to the kingdom. He just, the king is bigger than I am. He's, he's gonna get me, I just surrender. Just don't fight the reality of the fact that you need a savior and, and there's a God out there that wants to save you. You know how most people miss heaven just because of the pride of their heart? I don't need no God. I don't need saving. I can crawl my way there. I'll figure out how to stand up on my own. Many people know they need help, but they're just too proud or afraid to accept it. Just, I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus today, just, just do what Mephibosheth did. Fall at Jesus' feet and worship as he pursues, you might even know right now you're here and you might know this is God pursuing you. You feel your heart pounding. You feel the Lord speaking. This is God pursuing you. Last thing I want to say to you is this. Don't try and figure it out. I read this story and I can't figure it out. This is a love that's astounding. How many people miss out on heaven? We're not there yet. Don't, 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 don't get there yet. We're not there. How many people miss out on heaven and miss out on Jesus because they just, I just can't figure it out. Once I fully figure out this love thing and how God could really love me, I just can't figure it out until I, I can fully figure it out. I'm not going to accept it. Well, you know what? Here's the love of God. You, just, you, you, won't, you won't ever be able to fully comprehend why God would love you. Just like some days I wake up and I look at my wife and I'm like, why would you love me? I don't fully comprehend it, but guess what? I just accept it. It's just what it is. 
That's a picture of God's love for you. Embrace Jesus. Accept Jesus. If you know today that you're a hopeless, helpless sinner, you need a Savior, just stop running. And today, let Jesus grab you and bring you into his presence. Accept and embrace and grow in Jesus. Here's the last point we need to make. Knowing this as you accept Jesus, that Jesus' love knows no boundaries. Jesus' love knows no boundaries. Verse nine. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. You, listen, listen to what's saying here. This is, this is like the lottery. This is the best deal you could get. Then all that belong to Saul, think of all that belong to the former king and all into all his house I have given to your master's grandson. So you, you get all the inheritance that you should have had. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring uh, in the produce and your master's grandson shall have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that, the, that my lord the king commands to his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. What a picture of the love of God. I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have... Written a story like this one. Like, this is like a, almost like a fairy tale from pauper to prince. And it's no fairy tale. This is truth. This is history. This is his story of how God interacts with those that he calls his own. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling love of our Savior. Think, think of what's happening in this text. Uh, unlimited provisions. Here's, here's God's love that knows no bounds. And he knows no bounds in your life as well. Unlimited provisions. Everything that was once his grandfather's is now his. Land and animals and servants. He got the mother load here. He has more than enough for a lifetime. Never again would Mephibosheth have to worry about where he was going to sleep and where his next meal was going to come from or who was going to take him there. Went from Lodabar, a barren place, to the castle where everything was at his disposal it was uninterrupted provisions but that's not the greatest part of this whole text it was uninterrupted fellowship the one that he thought was going to kill him he actually brought him in to give him uninterrupted fellowship notice this in this 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 short little chapter the short little parentheses in in second samuel that four times in verse 7 and verse 10 in verse 11 verse 13 it says in some way or shape or form that he will always eat at my table This is the best part of the love of God is, is the love of a king, the love of King David is that Mephibosheth now had 100%, 24-7, 365 days access to the king. Who had that in the kingdom? No one had that in the kingdom except this little crippled boy, well, man now, that David chose to show kindness to, known and welcomed by the king. No special hoops to jump through, no backstage passes to apply for. Uninterrupted access to know and share life with the king. What an awesome privilege. 
And the last one is this, unconditional love. True, consistent love, safety and security of the love of a king. As I'm sure happened many times in his life with Mephibosheth, there's no more fear of waking up one morning and that he was just gonna sit there and exist for another day. He's now, it says here, the son of a king. He treated him like a son. He treated him like a son. This this is, again, a picture of what our salvation is to us. Oh, please don't just think that God just wants to save you to get you to heaven. God loves you because he wants to bring to you unlimited provisions. I'm not talking physical, like we're not gonna, I'm talking about prosperity gospel. We're all gonna be rich now, but the unlimited positions, Romans 8, verse 32 says, if Jesus, if God did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, how will he not give you all things? All the spiritual resources you need and even physical ones too. Don't eliminate the physical because we're afraid of the prosperity gospel. But God does bless us with unlimited resources and provisions. You will never lack again in Jesus Christ. You'll have everything you need for the day that you need it. It's a promise of God in the book of Matthew. Unlimited fellowship. This is the the mind-blowing part that we have. If you stop and think about this, we know it. We'll say, oh, of course, I have unlimited fellowship with God. But think think about this. Like, Like, here on earth, here's who we are. We are sinful people. We are flawed in every way. We have finite minds. And yet, the God of the universe through Jesus Christ has given us, through his son, unlimited access to himself. That you can call upon him at any time, that you can commune with him and share your highs and share your lows, that you can walk through life with a real personal being that is in complete control and far greater than you could ever imagine. Jesus has saved us to relationship, to personal, personal fellowship with him. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't miss that. Don't walk through your life. Don't walk through your life banking all the blessings of God and missing out on the fellowship with God. That you're gonna not just sit at his table forever in heaven, but you're already called to sit around his table, communion table, fellowship with other believers, called to sit at his table. This is awesome. Don't let a day pass you by that you don't take full advantage of the access that God has given you to himself, to the throne room of heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ. Get in your word, spend time praying. Don't miss the blessings God has for you. Don't miss out on the fact that God has given you unconditional love through his son. Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of my days and I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I'd rather this than the lottery. I'd rather this than the greatest castle here on earth. I'd rather this than the BMW or the whatever car you're longing to drive. I'd rather this than the, the, the biggest group of friends you could ever have. I'd rather this, wouldn't you? This is priceless. Everything else is worthless. This is priceless. This is priceless. And yet look at the last sentence. Now he was lame in both of his feet. All of this, and he was still lame in both of his feet. Why do you think it ended like that? I studied this week, like, why would he end like this? 
Instead of the celebration of look at all that he has, he reminds us that don't forget that you're crippled. You know why I think he reminds us of this? Because it's so easy to forget that we're crippled and then miss all the blessings of God. And so easy to start thinking that like, look who I am, look, look what I've done. Miss all the blessings of God. Get this, get this. For the rest of his days, Mephibosheth walked with a limp. But he still knew he was loved and accepted by the king. If you truly understand the love of God, you know what? You're not gonna try and pretend that you don't walk like a limp, with a limp. You're not gonna try and cover your limp and you're not gonna try and pretend that you're better than you are. This is one of the greatest flaws of believers, one of the greatest flaws of the church today, I think, is that somehow we think that because God loves us, we gotta be perfect and yet the reality is, the reality is that when we remember that we walk with a limp, here's where your heart stays. Your heart stays in a place of humble gratitude to your God. If you've lost the reality of a love for God, it's probably because you're walking in self-righteousness forgetting of the fact that God loves you and you only stand before God because he has given you the grace to do so. And so we as brothers and sisters no longer have to walk and do all the, the facades of church and say all the right things and pretend that we're not because I think that diminishes that all we're trying to do I think is put our emphasis on ourselves and not the God who saved us. And how many people come into church feeling alienated because they have it all together and look at me I'm just flawed. Reality is when people walk into our church they're as flawed as I am and as flawed as you are and we don't have to pretend any longer. You know why? Because it emphasizes how awesome the love of God is, how vast and how deep and how, I don't know, I don't have a word. That's how great God's love is. Also reminds us of this as we live out this reality of God's love. Just, just, just don't forget this. this is where we live it out. Four things to live it out with. Don't, don't forget you walk with a limp. Don't ever start thinking too highly of yourself and start putting other people down. Get this. Also reminds us of this, you can hold your head high because God loves you. You can hold your head high because God loves you. Picture this, this picture of sitting at a table, emphasize a table, the table, the table. When you're sitting at a table, this is gonna maybe make bad sound and I'm supposed to not sit on these, that's okay. When you're sitting at a table, picture tablecloth. What is not being seen right now? What's not being seen? Your feet! Isn't that fantastic? You don't think that's fantastic? I think it's amazing. This picture of the fact that we're sitting at the table of God, the the most crippled part of who you are is completely covered by the grace of God. And nobody at that table sees your feet any longer. You as a follower of Jesus Christ can hold your head high today. You don't have to dwell on your sin. You don't have to make excuse for your sin and let your sin define you because as a believer in Jesus Christ, even though we are still wicked sinners, God sees us through his son as redeemed saints all because of the love of Jesus. Let that thought free some of you today just to simply live in the grace of our God. You know what else it frees us to do as we live out the love of God? It frees us to embrace others. It frees us to embrace others knowing that every person around the table also has crippled feet. God doesn't love you or somebody else more than you because they're more special than you or you're more special than them somehow. No one is sitting higher than anyone else at the Lord's table. And everyone in here is only here because of the love of Jesus Christ, not anything else. Again, so easy for us to start thinking that somehow we're good and everybody else is bad and this just, just stops that dead in its tracks. 
God is good because of his love. And the last thing is this, you can enjoy his presence forever. Walk with a limp. Don't forget to hold your head high. Don't forget to embrace others. Don't forget to enjoy the presence of the Lord forever. Oh, you see this picture. I think this picture is only in here for us. This, 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 this. Second Samuel 9 really means nothing to the overall story of First and Second Samuel. It's just there for us to, to be reminded of how amazing God's love is and how God wants us to enjoy his presence, not just forever, like starting now, forever. Don't take this for granted. Don't miss out on the fullness of what God wants to show you about his love, about his grace, about his mercy. Don't be fearful and fight away, fight it off. Don't don't run away. Just let Jesus bring you into his presence. There's no greater place to be on this earth than in the presence of the God who made you and loves you. Psalm 63.3, let me leave you with this. It says in this verse, Oh God, your steadfast love or loving kindness is better than life. This is the love that your soul longs for that is better than life and it's found in one place and one place alone in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, in this moment right now, would you simply allow all these things we've learned to be true in every one of our hearts? Oh God, how we long to know the love of our Father and, and not just our heads, but in our, in our whole beings. God, would you, would you press these truths into those that are refuting to refusing your love and mercy and they, they know you're there. They can even feel you pursuing them right now. But God, would you break down whatever barriers in their hearts that truly, fully come to you and surrender to you and worship, to, worship you with the fullness of who they are. Oh God, would you save even someone today? And let them in their hearts allow you to carry them from the barren place, from the sold out place to a place of fullness and life in the kingdom of their God. Father, for those that have forgotten that you love them this much and they're walking in self-righteousness and the reason their hearts aren't attuned to your love is because they've really grown cold to it because they think that they're all that. They think that somehow they're your gift to you instead of you being their gift to them. Father, I do pray you'd remind them of how helpless and how hopeless they are, but again, I pray, God, you'd refresh them in the reality that, man, as helpless and hopeless as they are, they have a God who pursued them and a God who never stops pursuing them. Pursue them even in this moment now, God, those hard hearts that have wandered for you, pursue them now, oh God, and bring them back to yourself. May the tears flow as they realize they have a God who loves them and You're not chasing them to harm them or hurt them. You're chasing them to draw you near. Would you bring the wanderer home today, God, through the reality of your love? And God, for those that know this and they live in this and they are experiencing your love on a daily basis, God, would they just remind them again? Oh, Lord, what would we do without the love of our God? Your love is better than life. Better than life. Help us, Lord, to grow deeper in that love and to live our lives truly, truly. Even though we walk with a limp, with a head held high, embracing others and enjoying your presence. May we know today, God, as I prayed at the beginning, how deep 
and how wide and how long and how high the love of our God is in Jesus' name.